Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. This is the Action Network Podcast. You can hear the chatter from the crowd. We have a big chance. A big chance to make a run for some big bucks. Three-pointer. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, NBA Playoffs Edition. Glad to have you with us. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. And my guest this week is Jason Tim, host of Hoops Tonight over at the Volume Podcast Network. Of course, our show, The Favorites with Chad and Simon, is on the Volume Podcast Network, along with, oh, you know, Draymond Green and a host of other great, great shows. Jason, want to thank you so much for coming on. Mr. Matt Moore, it is good to see your face. I sincerely appreciate the invite, and I am excited to talk some basketball with you. Yeah, it should be great. And we're not going to talk about all the nonsense coming out of L.A. today, as you, as, <laughs> as someone that's covered the Lakers, are going to be spared from having to cover the ongoing power struggle out in L.A. Uh, what we are going to do today is we're going to go over the NBA playoffs. Now, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon late. We're about an hour and a half uh, before the tip-off of Heat Sixers Game 5. So we're going to touch on that series briefly in a very broad sense, as well as Mavs Suns. But because we don't know the results of those, by the time that you hear this podcast, they'll be pretty light. We will talk about Eastern futures, Western futures, and of course, NBA titles, odds. And I want to get Jason's thoughts on NBA Finals MVP. We are going to go in-depth, however, on one series, which we'll start with. But first, I want to let you know that everything we talk about today can be found in the Action Network app. It's the best way for you to track your picks, get information on where the money's coming in, how the markets have moved, signals. You can track picks in there, all sorts of great stuff. Check it out, the Action Network app on Google Play and the App Store. All right, Jason. So I was supposed to do an Action Network podcast this week, and I was thinking they guessed who to do. And just as I was thinking of it, you popped up with like really great analysis, I thought, on Celtics Bucks. It wasn't so much that I agree with everything, but like the level of detail and the way it's oriented, I was like, oh, this will be like a good discussion uh, for us to kind of dive into. So thanks for coming on. Uh, let's start right there. So Bucks Celtics tied 2-2. Celtics storm back from down in game four and really a must-win environment for them. They were up against it down late. Al Horford goes for 30 Tatum goes for 30. They get the win. They even the series. And now, as it has been throughout the series, everything is flipped. Uh, we are back to Celtics minus 190, Bucks plus 160 to win the series. Uh, Celtics minus one and a half is plus 210, which is basically telling you that the books are, are screaming at you. This thing is going to go seven. Uh, to let you know, I bet Celtics plus one and a half after they lost that game one, is I was like, the Celtics are good enough to get this stretched out. So. Give me first your initial thought on Celtics Bucks from a 2-2 standpoint and where you see the series going from here, given what we've seen. So, again, Milwaukee, I think, has performed about as well as you possibly can so far to this point in the series. I mean, you know, the big turning point for me, everyone 
seems to be aware that Boston's good. I think, I think that they've been good for long enough now that if you're not admitting that, then you're just either a Lakers fan or, (laughs) or someone who's just interested in getting in Twitter arguments. Like basically the, the, my hypothesis behind getting behind this team in particular as my personal championship favorite stemmed from um, January 23rd on to the end of the season. They were not just the best defense in the league, but the best defense by uh, a mile. They were, I think, about five points better than everybody else in the league. They also had the best offense in the league from January 23rd on, although I was a little bit skeptical of that because I don't love the overall collective like basketball IQ offensively of this group. I don't think they have like a real traditional playmaking guard or wing that kind of can orient them. I think that ironically has been their biggest flaw this series is they kind of lose their offensive identity from time to time and take some rushed shots and they start to force things a little bit. And if you followed this series, the story has been that Milwaukee hasn't been able to score in the half court nearly as well as Boston has, but they're absolutely destroying Boston in transition. So during the stretches of the game where Boston gets kind of helter skelter and early quick shots, you know, long shots, long rebounds, turnovers, things like that. It's like Giannis run out, dunk Giannis run out, kick out to an open shooter. Giannis run out, drop off to somebody. It's been that kind of story. The reason why I was so confident in Boston is I've never seen a defense do what they did to Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Like they couldn't even get good looks, not even decent looks uh, as that series was progressing. KD made some shots in game four, but like it was a level of, of perimeter contain and contesting tough shots that I haven't really seen from a team. The closest I can think of is maybe the 2019 Raptors in recent NBA history, but uh, obviously the offense for Boston is the big wrinkle. And then Giannis, like Giannis is, I think has demonstrated in this series, a level of adaptability that is what makes him so good. Like inefficiency, he's been every bit as bad as KD was <laughs> like right. his shooting percentage in the regular season was 63% true shooting in this series. It's 48%. He's catastrophically bad in terms of compared to his usual standard and efficiency, but he's just like dominating every other area of the game in the physicality on the defensive end. I've been blown away by his playmaking in this series. Giannis fans have been trying to teach me about that over the course of the season. And I've been reluctant and I've just been proven flat out wrong. He's a level of playmaker that I didn't think he was capable of at this point. And, and so that's why you can't ever be off of Milwaukee because betting against that guy is a fool's errand in a lot of different ways. But to me, I kind of saw the writing on the wall in the half court offense. I thought, down two one, I predicted Boston would win the next three games. And I think that's what's going to happen to your point. I wouldn't be shocked if Milwaukee went home in one game six, but I think Milwaukee, Boston demonstrated some really good discipline in their closeout game against Brooklyn. And I think they have a good chance to do that in game six as well. Yeah. So I think by that line, that line of thinking, if you're in that camp, I think the minus one and a half plus one ten for them to basically win at six has a lot of value there. Cause you're getting two to one return on, on that, I, mm-hmm. I understand kind of where you're at from the perspective of, well, look, I think that game by game, Boston has an advantage and I'm not willing to go so far as to say home court is so important as to say that, like, you have to give them this game because we've seen both teams win on the opponent's home floor. It's interesting. You mentioned Boston's kind of helter skelter offense and their inconsistency. You know where that really showed up was in the bubble in 2020, where that heat series was maddening for somebody who had a, a Celtics <laughs> Eastern Conference ticket because they would play three great quarters and then that whatever the fourth quarter, it wasn't always the fourth quarter. Sometimes it was the third. Sometimes it was the second. They would have one quarter a game where the Boston offense would just look like they had 
just started playing together this game that they were and that they were a little bit drunk and that they were just like a little <laughs> bit just completely off of their game. And at the same time, Miami would just pour it on with like an incredible shooting performance. And like those quarters I found were one of really winning that series. And you mentioned how impressed you've been with, with Boston's defense. And it is inarguably a superb I, both of these teams have just blown me away with how good their defense is. You mentioned the half court numbers. You're obviously going to run more in half court than you are in transition. Like you're just going to have a lot more possessions where you're walking it up. And in those possessions, I looked this up today on cleaning the glass. Milwaukee's got an 84 offensive rating in half court offense in this series. Isn't that insane? <laughs> That's that is that is throwing garbage in an alley at, where it's very dark. Like it is bad how bad they're at their half court offenses from that perspective i think that there's probably value i think the only thing that kind of gets me to, to hesitate there's two things that get me to hesitate on betting boston okay now again i, I got on plus one and a half to start the series and i have bucks futures so as always i'm always like hedging i'm hedging the hedges of my hedges hedges but one of the reasons that that i do think you've got to be careful with milwaukee at least or with boston for the series is drew holiday has been so bad now you look back last year, game series by series, like the net series. And like, there's, there are a lot of games where Drew just threw up clunkers. He's just not an elite offensive player, but he's been so bad relative to even low standards that I go, there's probably going to be a game in there where he plays better. The other one is Middleton. So there's been no word on this after game two, Budenholzer told the media that mid would not play in three or four. And he was asked, are you ruling him out for the series? And he said, no. So if Middleton comes back at any point in this series, like one of those superheroes arriving on the battlefield late, um, I'm going to immediately probably start thinking that, that the Bucks have value to win the series. If mid were to return now, there's been no indication he will, but if Middleton would return, would that change your perception on the series enough to go the other way? You know, See, the thing is, is I already was wrong to start. I thought Boston would win the series in five. My prediction was that Boston would win games one and two and then four and five and that Milwaukee would steal game three. And I've been thrown off. And honestly, I underrepresented how good Giannis could be. But you're right. If you, I, I just went back earlier today and looked at the film and basically from 80 to 70, which was the advantage Milwaukee took with about a minute and a half left in the third quarter. From that point forward, if it wasn't Giannis, it was a bad shot. Yep. Like there were, there were no good shot attempts. Even the Brooke Lopez post up that they went to, he immediately traveled Drew holiday kept like driving into the teeth of the defense and then picking up his dribble right around like the charge circle. And he had one amazing play where he like Al Horford doubled off of Brooke and drew holiday was completely dead to rights, but he knew in his head, Hey, if Al's right there, no one's guarding Brooke. And he just like threw it up over his head towards the rim and Brooke dunked it. But like, other than that, Almost everything you got from Drew was a really tough pull-up jump shot or something in the lane. He didn't make any of them. Whereas on the other end of the floor, Boston was in there driving kick stuff, getting wide. It's like wide open look for Derek White in the left corner, wide open look for Marcus Smart on the left wing, or wide open pick and pop jump shot from Al Horford from 15, wide open shot from Al Horford in the weak side corner. Like their shot quality was just better. So if you're like, there's no question that spelling the Giannis possessions with more Chris Middleton is a massive upgrade. Uh, my thing is like, do you think it's too late at this point? Cause like the way we've seen finesse shot creators perform against this Boston defense, they struggle. So like, I mean, look at KD, look at Kyrie. So like, I wonder if 
in in this specific instance if his impact would be limited. I'm not lying. If, if Chris Middleton came back, it would cause me to have to recalibrate a bunch of different things. I just think that I'd probably still be on Boston at that point. I just think that what they're doing right now is a little more reliable and yeah. dependable. Whereas it's like, it's like you're kind of betting. It's like, will Giannis go absolutely nuclear in game five? It's like, it's possible. I, I, sure. I don't feel comfortable betting against it. But at the end of the day, that's kind of their only chance. Like if he, and by the way, credit to Giannis, like in that fourth quarter when they weren't getting anything, the stuff he was getting out of the left block, like controlling, not leaving his feet, keeping his dribble, making beautiful passes and reads out of it. I've, I've just been so incredibly blown away by how good he is. He's so much better than even I thought he could be at this point in his career. Let's take a look at Heat Sixers quickly. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday. Heat Sixers about to tip off here in about an hour and a half. So we won't go too deep on this. I do want to kind of get your sense on, uh, is there, do you have like a strong take on the series? Do you think one team is definitively better than the other? Because obviously this is going to go to game six. So regardless of the outcome of game five, we'll we'll, we'll see those these teams again. Uh, do you have a sense for how you feel Sixers Heat is trending or the overall tone of the series? Heat minus 146, Sixers plus 124. At FanDuel, the Heat are minus one and a half on the win spread at plus 245 to win in six. I'm definitely less confident about it than I am about the Boston-Milwaukee series, but I am on Philly. My big concern coming into this series is Miami's offense reminds me a lot of Denver's in the way that they use Bam at the top of the key with a ton of dribble handoffs and ball screens to guards coming off of those to try to shoot off the dribble. And it also reminds me of Denver in the way that like, it's kind of like no name is the wrong word, but like they're not exactly superstar players that are coming flying off of these screens. In a lot of cases, it's Max Struess, it's Gabe Vincent, it's got, you know, it's guys like that who are really good players. You know, no one's sitting here saying Will Barton can't play or that, you know, Monte Morris can't play. They're just not the same as the, the upper level guards that are around the league. Right. Yeah. And so the difference to me between the way Denver plays and the way Miami plays is Jokic's threat from the high post to turn and shoot or to turn and score in my opinion, is so much higher that it forces you to defend it in a different way. And I was concerned that Philly would be able to get away with sitting in a drop coverage all series long with Embiid. And for the record, in the two games that they were down in Miami without Embiid, Miami scored extremely well. And in all the minutes that Embiid's been on the floor, I think they're averaging right around 102 points per 100 possessions, which isn't great. So Miami's really struggling to score against Philly with Embiid on the floor, as I predicted. Now, what Miami fans will tell you is we're shooting terribly. And they are. They're not making the shots coming off those dribble handoffs and off those ball screens and things like that. So if you're on the Miami side, you got to just trust that your shot quality will pan out and you'll start to make shots. But to me, I think that Philly's just going to have an easier time scoring in the half court as the series progresses. They also have that ridiculous dynamic that when they get a stop, Tyrese Maxey is just going to run out and get a layup. <laughs> and every, every once in a while on those, just easy offense there. So yeah, I'm on Philly, but I'm nowhere near as confident there as I was on the Boston series. Yeah, what's been interesting, I think, is when you factor in the shot quality, um, I also looked this up that the Heat actually shot remarkably well in the paint. They shot something like 70% on a really a, interesting. No change at all in terms of volume with Embiid in there either. They just really, when you look at game four, they just missed open threes. They were hmm. something like 20%. They were, no, they were 10 of 40. Uh, in games three and four on lightly contested or uncontested three-point looks. Via wow. Spectrum. Like, yeah, it was it was a crazy differential. So a lot of this for me is about how you feel about the Sixers' defense. Um, when they've looked bad, their defense is what has looked bad. Uh, that's really been the weak point, is that there are a bunch of gaps in this. 
they've done a good job. I've been really impressed with Joel that Joel's playing a lot more at like the level of the screen and putting a lot more pressure. That's helpful. You don't want Jimmy Butler getting downhill. So they're putting a little bit more pressure up top and all these types of things. But when I look at this, um, I have a lot of confidence in the heat defense. You know, you, you talked about how like you've learned how good Giannis is at playmaking. Uh, I had always kind of been very not meh, just like, oh yeah, no, Bam's really good. That was about the extent of it. And then like this season, <laughs> I really started to dig into it. And now I'm like, Bam's amazing. Like Bam is like probably the best switching center in the NBA. He's absolutely incredible in terms of his instinct and playmaking. He got over what was bothering him last year with how indecisive he was shooting in the in the Milwaukee series. And that carried through the Olympics where I thought he looked horrible. Like I was ready to come in this into this year and be like, look, are we overrating Bam out of bio? Is he really like a franchise <laughs> cornerstone? And then I saw what he did. It wasn't just that he got the one seed. It was that like I was watching him more and really impressed with it. And I think there, you know, the overall numbers for Joel versus Bam in his career have actually been pretty poor. And Joel didn't have a monster game in either of those games. What really got him through was Harden. And then especially it was Danny Green who shot the absolute leather off of the ball. Like great spot up shots. But the problem is like, this is, I, I love Danny. Like Danny's is one of my top five favorite interviews during the He's finals. When I was, guy too. Yeah. When I was covering the, the, those Spurs heat finals, Danny was like my go-to. I would do whatever necessary to try and get in front of Danny for an interview in the locker room or at the podiums because Danny was actually insightful and thoughtful. And he was the only guy that would break like the Spurs code of never say anything. He would actually talk a little <laughs> bit openly. Um, but Danny's also inconsistent. He hates the icy hot nickname because it's really apt for him. So I think that's kind of my concern. I liked Miami to start this series. Um, I'm still very much on them. Again, we'll see how this game goes tonight because if I'm wrong and the heat and the Sixers wind up winning tonight, I'm going to be very shook by the time that you hear this podcast. Um, let's look at Eastern conference futures real quick. Since we're on the East um, in this regard, the Celtics are plus one thirty five. the heat plus two sixty, bucks plus three thirty, Sixers plus five fifty over at FanDuel. Uh, I'm going to imagine that given how high you are on Boston, that you have to think that this should probably be closer to a minus number and that you think there's still value on Boston plus 135, right? Yeah. Doesn't, I mean, I, I know you're higher on the heat than I am, but like, doesn't it feel like Boston Milwaukee are the two best teams in the conference? That's the kind oh, yeah. of the way it feels to me. So like, and in terms of a value bet, I almost like that Milwaukee number more than the Boston number, but at the same time, like, it's just, I'm very set in my ways. When I get on a track about something, it's hard to get me off that track. And like, man, like I'm just, I'm a believer in this Boston team. And I think what they do is very uniquely capable of succeeding in different playoff matchups. It's been very interesting to see the difference in the matchups between this series and the Brooklyn series and the way they've had to guard. Um, Philly is actually an interesting number there because the Embiid matchup is such a weird wild card that you don't know how that would impact either of Milwaukee or Boston. So like, at that kind of number to basically say they're two, two against Miami two and O with Joel Embiid. All they have to do is get out of that series and then beat Boston or Milwaukee. That's seems like a decent opportunity there, but I definitely think that they're a, a solid tier below Boston and Milwaukee. So I guess I, you know, I would probably end up landing on Boston, but there is some decent value opportunities there. I've said during the Celtics buck series that my best play was you should just bet whoever lost the last game to win the title. <laughs> that that's like the best way to go about it. It's like whoever loses their number is going to drop and they're still better than all these other teams. So, you know, it's weird because uh, the Warriors I've been high on since preseason. I have a Warriors ticket uh, from preseason, an extremely long number. I bet them consistently. I like I've said I like them in the Suns matchup. 
I like the Celtics and Bucks. Whoever comes out of that series, we assume that they're going to get past the other two teams, and I think they will. Like I like Miami a lot, but I don't think they can get. I don't think they have the firepower to get past these two. Um, it'll be interesting, but I, I do think either the winner of Celtics Bucks, I think, is going to be in the finals if they have anything left from how exhausting the series is. Um, Celtics Bucks feels like an interesting series to pound the, or excuse me, Celtics Heat seems like an interesting series to pound the under on every game. I could see yeah. both teams going through long stretches of just having no idea how to score. <laughs> a, a, just, that's a switch all versus a switch all just, just yeah. constant switches grinding just mucked up. Yeah. yeah it's going to be gross. If that's the, if that's the <laughs> certainly looks like it's going to be right now, uh, depending on, on your perspective. But yeah. So like, I, th- I, I've been saying that Celtics bucks, you should just be betting them to win the title outright. If you do want to bet place a bet on, on the East, I think bucks probably do have the best value. Um, I, the only thing I would probably say is I don't think that if the heat were to win, they would be, a 260 versus either of those teams. I think it's probably more closer to 200. So it's like, if you want to have a position to hedge against with a big dog, you can take the heat, but they'll have home court. So it's going to be tough to make them a short favorite. So if you think the heat are coming out of that, con- out of that matchup, you should be betting them and Sixers, same kind of deal, right? Like the Sixers are not going to be plus 550 if they're matched up with Boston. I won't be betting that though, because uh, there's no way I think like I, I have seen Al Horford and what he does to Joel Embiid too many times. Well's going to have to prove it to me uh, in order to get me to bet that way. Um, and how good is that dude right now? Holy cow. Oh. Playoff career high at that age. Just playoff Al, man. Winner his entire career. Just has won everywhere he's been since Florida. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fancy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now, you can win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick their over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then, choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with a tap of a button. It's insanely fun to write it out together. So stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. Make sure to use promo code BUCKETS and Sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download Sleeper and use promo code BUCKETS when you deposit. Term and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Okay, back to the show. Let's talk about the West a little bit quicker because, again, one series plays tonight, and the other series I think is pretty much a wrap here. We got Warriors, Grizzlies, Grizzlies plus 1,500 if you're interested in that number. If, you're, if you want to chase a long shot, uh, plus one and a half just to get it to seven games is plus 680 for the Memphis Grizzlies. It was announced before we did this podcast that John Morant suffered a bone bruise. They finally did the MRI, released the MRI results. He's doubtful for the postseason, not for game five, for the postseason. So I think you can go ahead and say he's going to miss game five. Um, as such, look, is, do you think there's any chance that Memphis can rally at home and sneak by him to, to force him back to Oracle for six? Oh, not I actually Oracle. do. I, 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 I give him almost a 0% chance to win game six in golden state, but I have a, I have a, like, the thing is, is Memphis is not a better team without jaw, but they are a different team without jaw. They have a different kind of physical identity. The jaw, obviously we know he's not great dribble contained, not a great defensive player at this point in his career. Although I do think he will be one day, a huge believer in that guy in the long run. 
Um, but w- without, without uh, Jaw, they're a little more methodical. Tyus Jones is more traditional point guard. He's a little bit more uh, procedural and old fashioned in the way that he plays. They don't have the shot creation to go down to Golden State and win a game six. But I kind of think of game five as like a buzzsaw. Like you're running into a desperate team back against the wall, playing their biggest, most, most athletic players. Thought it was super interesting that they brought Steven Adams out of out of uh, being basically DMP'd every night to, to getting 15 rebounds and 10 points or whatever he had last night. So like I, I would say that game five, I think I think Memphis right now is plus two and a half in that game. To me, that's an interesting opportunity to uh, a betting value to bet a desperate team on their home floor, the types of guys they'll be playing, all their bigger athletes leaning into physicality and getting out in transition. That's the kind of thing that thrives in front of a home crowd. I see that as an opportunity for Memphis to steal a game before the series ends ends in six. So that I I will be betting on Memphis tomorrow. I have zero takes on Mavs Suns. I am staying away from this one because I have a lot of faith in Phoenix and their matchup advantages throughout the series. And then they just played bizarre in three and four. Uh, I thought their strategy was very strange. They showed the ability to disrupt Luca in the second half of game four. He was five of 15 from the field. I went back and watched and they were really messing with him in terms of they made a lot of mistakes in the first half, trying to basically run drop with a help defender over. And they mixed up their coverages and had breakdowns and giving up corner threes. And when I saw that, I was like, huh? Okay, I don't know if you can do that. But then the second half, I was like, oh, they actually went in and and got it right. And they started to hit those mechanisms. I just don't necessarily know why Phoenix went that route when it's like, look, Luca had 35 and whatever in game. He was averaging 33 points a game in the first two games of the series. And they were 0-2. Like, I don't know why the Suns... Yeah, not close. Like, I don't know why the Suns felt the need to change up the strategy. Again, this game will tip later tonight, but would you have a lean towards Mavericks Suns? Suns are minus 235, Mavericks plus 190 to win the series. I lean Phoenix too. I do think I agree with you. I thought I thought it was ironically them overplaying the stars and, and getting open three point shots for everyone else that killed them. Both Chris Paul games were weird. Seven turnovers in game three and then super bizarre decision making defensively to get into foul trouble in game four. Very uncharacteristic for a player like him. My one reservation with the Lucas stuff is so uh, Carson, um, the, one of the producers on my show, a guy who comes on the air a lot. He did some research and he had determined that before this series, Luca was shooting 46% in his career in the playoffs on step back threes, which is an absolutely insane number. And obviously now to your, to your point, Phoenix defended him extremely well. So it's not like they're extremely high quality threes, but he was one for 10 in game four on threes. So the one like, like, shot in the dark puncher's chance, whatever you want to call it for Dallas is Luca just gets hot in Phoenix and goes for 40 something and it's enough to pull him off. Also Jalen Brunson gave you nothing in those first two games. Also, and I'm interested to hear, hear your opinion about this. Dallas's defense was so bad in the first two games, like so bad that I don't even know how to translate that to game five, because don't get me wrong. The home crowd helps to get home and to get reinvigorated and to sit in a stance and to contain guys better than you do on the road. But they were so much better in games three and four that it almost rang as like a team that didn't take their opponent seriously enough in the first two games. So I'm curious. The biggest thing I'm going to be looking at tonight is how well Dallas guards. And that's going to be a huge indicator early on as to whether or not they have a chance. See, and I get to games three and four. I just look at and go, Chris had an uncharacteristic turnover game in game three and he got foul trouble in game four. And as good as Devin is versus a switching defense, if you don't have a secondary playmaker, you have to worry about that. That's where the switch works, right? Like that's why it's so popular 
versus the heliocentric teams like the Rockets with Harden or mm-hmm. and honestly versus this team is is there's been a lot of success versus it. So for me, I just kind of look at it and I go, I they're going to have to show me they can disrupt Chris Paul consistently for me to be mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, they've really solved their defensive issues tonight uh, will be huge. So when you listen to this, you'll be able to react accordingly. OK, the the big battle, if we're assuming that we think Suns and Warriors are going to be in the Western Conference. Warriors are minus 150 to win the West right now, which is a product of the Suns being in a 2-2 series and the Warriors being in a 3-1. So essentially, like this number, this is not the time to bet the Warriors. Like objectively, if you're betting the Warriors, do not do it now. You can get a better number later. Uh, Suns plus 165, pretty good number for the for the Suns. Mavs plus 800 and the Grizzlies plus 5,050 to 1 on the old Grizz. Uh let's just go ahead and limit it down to warrior Suns. Who do you think has the edge there? We could agree that the Suns have the value now, but when that series comes about, if you want to wait till it, do you have a lean on which way you think that series goes? I'm leaning towards Phoenix. I mean, so to me, I have, I have Boston Phoenix and golden state all on a tier by themselves at the top, but I, and in that order, but separated by the tiniest of margins. So when I say, I think I have Phoenix over golden state, I think it's close, but like, the, the, my biggest concern with Golden State is what happened last night. Like they they seem to lose their offensive identity a little bit too from time to time, and some of it is like like Steph's been incredible in this playoff run, but he's not you know 2015 to 2017 Steph. Like he's not his dribble creation is not the same that it was. He's almost winning these games off of like savvy and just incredibly difficult like just using his brain a lot more at this point, they go through these extended stretches where particularly Jordan Poole and clay get a little out of whack with their shot selection. And it's almost like they're trying to recreate that magic of the 2015, 2016 warriors, where it's just like up and down the floor, crazy shots, but they all just seem to go in, but they're just, sometimes they just don't go in. And so I think that, and by the way, Phoenix uh, per cleaning the glass has the best half court offense so far through the playoffs. And they did, they have played two, pretty good defenses. Dallas obviously mailed in the first two games of their series. But if you were ranking the 16 playoff teams, I don't think the Pelicans would have been 15th. You might've put them ahead of Utah. You might've put a, put them ahead of some of some of these other teams out there. Maybe even a Chicago, like the Pelicans were a really good team and Phoenix has done an extremely good job of executing in the half court. I feel like that's a little bit more reliable. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why are you on golden state over Phoenix? So we saw the matchup this season. We saw it three times with them relatively full strength either like one guy was Booker was gone in the, in the rematch on Friday night. It was a close game in Phoenix where Phoenix got the win because Mikhail Bridges shut down Steph. The Warriors came back and got a big win. Like we saw enough of it to where I looked at those matchups and I go, I think Golden State has the advantage here. In particular, a lot of this is Phoenix last year had the Dario Saric five, five out small ball switch all to go to. Versus Dallas, even they're still running drop versus Luca. That's why Luca went in supernova in games one and two is they felt like, look, we're not worried about any of these other playmakers. We're not worried about any of these other guys. So we're just going to make Luca shoot all the time. And it worked. And then again, like we talked about, they got away from it. I think they haven't had to face a switch all team, which that's what the Warriors run. Primarily, they'll play a little bit of looney. They'll play a little bit of of, of drop every now and again. They'll probably do it with the, with the bench units, but they are absolutely going to space out Aiden and make him work in space. And then they're going to do all this complicated stuff off ball. Clay Thompson being back, I think is a big determining factor here. Look, the Warriors offense, you're right. It's hit or miss. The floor for them is so much lower than it used to be. Oh yeah. Just so, and it's been that way all year. It's pedestrian. 
The problem, I think, is if you look at it, as good as Phoenix's half-court offense has been, there's been some cracks in the defense. Like, their defense has a little bit more difficulty, and a lot of that is because they don't have the five-out switch small ball counter that they used to have. That lack of versatility, I think, kills you versus Golden State. I think it'll be a great series. Um, if you do lean, Suns, I have a play for you, which is at FanDuel. They actually have Western Conference exact results. And as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, uh, Suns to beat Warriors is plus 190. You'll still probably be able to get that at a very good number, even if Phoenix wins game five. Wow, that's an awesome number. <laughs> plus 190 to beat the Warriors. So they have to factor that in because the Warriors are much more likely to get there than the Suns are. Even again, if the Suns win game five, that number is going to drop. You will still get a better number on that than you will just for the Suns to win the Western Conference because they'll have to leave the possibility open of Golden State blowing a 3-1 lead to the Grizzlies. When would they ever do that? So if as we factor in all of these kind of things, I think that's probably your best play on the Suns. Warriors to beat Suns, by the way, is plus 190. So you're able wow. to get, yeah, you're able to get good value at either one. I've been hitting these a lot. The Eastern Conference odds are similarly really interesting. Uh, we need to get out of here, but before we go, I do want to get your your thoughts on uh, Finals MVP because you've kind of leaned towards the Suns, the eventual champion. They are plus four ten to win the title right now in a two two series. So there's great value, I think, on, on, objectively on the on the Celtics to win the title. Finals MVP though, Jason Tatum is plus five fifty. Okay, wow, yeah, plus five fifty. You've got. Uh, a number of uh, Jalen Brown is plus 2,500. So it's 25 to one on him. Marcus smart, kind of interesting at 5,500. If it were to be Celtics warriors or Celtics Suns, and Marcus smart had one of those defensive games for the ages and just had a few good games. I'm not sure there's terrible value there. I was curious about if you had a thought on finals MVP that you would bet right now. That's super interesting. Cause I thought Marcus smart was the MVP down the stretch against Milwaukee last night. Yeah. His uh, playmaking and shot making towards the end of the third quarter down the, the stretch in the fourth, I thought was amazing. That's actually super interesting value there. The other one, I like that Jordan Poole at 2,400 is super interesting because oh, yeah. you could totally see a series where he, he averages, you know, 27, 28 points. Um, yeah, those are the two that stand out the most to me. Luca at plus 2,400, if you just think that he gets hot and somehow escapes. I think, you know, so... Dallas Golden State is a super interesting series to me because yeah. Luca, I think, would go nuts against against switches in that series all series long. But uh, but yeah, I'd say Jordan Poole is probably the biggest value that stands out to me there. Yeah, I agree uh, on that as well. If you're into Philly, which I'm not, but if you're into Philly, Joel is is seventeen to one. You're not going to get better wow. value than that because if he makes the finals and you think the Sixers have any chance of winning, it's going to be because he's Joel would be. Yep. He's got that. That's Jason Tim. He is the host of Hoops Tonight. With Jason Tim, you can find him on YouTube, find him on Twitter. Great follow underscore Jason LT. Great stuff from Jason. Follow him. Make sure to check out the Volume Podcast Network. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks again, Matt. Anytime, man. I had a lot of fun. We'll be back later this week with more episodes of the Action Network podcast, getting you set for NFL offseason, NHL playoffs, all that and more. Keep it right here. Make sure to check out Buckets, our NBA podcast where we break down the games every single day and get you the best value and download the Action Network app. Until next time, I'm Matt Moore. Thanks for joining us on the Action Network podcast. 